The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. All right, let's go ahead and grab our seats and get started, guys. Otherwise, I will keep you until 9.15. Promise. Can't hear? All right, let's go ahead and grab our seats. Sounds echoey. Am I echoey? Alright, grab your grab your caffeine, grab your hydration. Alright, good to see you guys. Uh, thank you for being here. I know Andrew mentioned last week uh, we want to see commitment during the, the entire duration of these four weeks. Um, we see transformation take place in our lives um, when there's continuity. When we actually uh, establish roots, get to know one another, um, we're, we're able to confess sin, point one another to the gospel. Um, that's where it takes place. And so the fact that you guys are back here tonight, um, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is, this is going to spill over into gospel communities, into your homes, into uh, the many friendships and relationships you have. So please continue to commit. Uh, we've got tonight and then two more weeks. Um, all right, so logistics for tonight, real quick. You guys, were, you guys were made a promise, and we have not fulfilled that promise. We said we'd have binders tonight, and we do not have binders tonight. And I'm very sorry. Uh, apparently, the entire world does not operate like Amazon Prime, um, and so we were unable to get the binders in time. We do have more books, though. So if you guys didn't get a book last week, um, there, are, there were 20 books. I think some have already been purchased. Um, at the back table, we have the square. Um, also, if you guys have not paid yet, uh, please do that tonight, or you can do it on Sunday. Um, and also, we will, we will have the binders this Sunday. So find myself, myself, find Andrew, find Jeff, find anybody, and we can get you the binder um, on Sunday. Is that everything about books and binders? What's that? Park Renew Table. There is a table with a sign over this that says Park Renew. It's right in between Joel's office and the nursing mom's room. We'll stack them there, uh, and you can snag them there. Um, everyone should have gotten the, the handouts for tonight. I think Stephen was passing those out. Um, format tonight, so feedback we got last week that this is great. We love the content. Andrew did a great job giving a, a broad overlay um, of where we're trying to go these few weeks, uh, but it's just so much to try to process. Um, so, so what I heard from a number of people is, can we slow down? Can we spend some more time at the tables and really processing and discussing um, the things that we're hearing about up front? We're going to do that tonight. So I'm going to, I'm going to walk through a few things from the book uh, for a while, and then we're going to spend at, at least 20 minutes at our tables. Um, just get a good amount of time to, to ask, ask the questions that are, that are in the handouts, um, process with one. I know a lot of you guys are, are with your gospel communities, um, so please feel free to carry these conversations. Please do carry these conversations um, beyond this class and into hanging out afterwards or as you get to gospel community um, or other contexts as well. Um, so we'll take a, take a break and discuss for a while for about 20 minutes, walk through some more content, and then we'll take another long extended break for about 15-20 minutes and, and have time around our table. So the time you guys have been longing for just to dig into these questions and process with one another, uh, we're going we're gonna to do that tonight. Alright, I think that's everything logistics wise. Alright, let me pray and let's jump into the content. Father, thank you for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. 
Um, thank you that, that the news about what Jesus has done for us is true. Um, it has substance to it. Uh, it actually works something in our lives. It's a, it's, it's a grace that must be stewarded, but it's a, it's a grace that is active. And so I pray that tonight we would see more of that. Um, we, would, we would go to the, the hard, honest places um, where, where we see the, uh, the bitterness in our own souls, where we see the brokenness, where we, uh, we feel the tension, uh, where, where we sense the rebellion. May we be honest. Uh, and, and, and in that honesty, may we, we see the hope that, that you give to us in Christ, that you give to us through your word. Um, so may our conversation be good. We need your help, Spirit. Uh, we don't change unless you work. Um, through our time together. So please come and, and do that. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, how many of you remember, and perhaps have even read multiple times, Alexander in the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day? These are, these are what I'm talking about. Did you know HBO actually made a movie on this in 1989? It was really strange. It was not a typical HBO movie at all. But... So I read this book as a, as a child. I thought it was amazing. I could really relate to it. Um, as a kid, it's like, man, all these bad things happened. Do you guys remember some of the bad things that happened to Alexander in his terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day? you guys remember this? Gum in his hair when he woke up. That was great. That was the first one. Then he tripped on the skateboard. His sweater fell in the sink. Like, it got a little bit wet, and so he was... Chalking that up to his terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. He goes downstairs. His brothers get a toy in their cereal box, and he doesn't. He has to sit in the middle seat, even though he complains about it the whole way, and, and no one actually even listens to him, so he's just patting about himself. Uh, one guy, Paul, who he thought was, he was best friends with, actually told him he wasn't even his second best friend. He was his third best friend. That made it for a very terrible day. Uh, the, the teacher did not like the fact that he skipped the number 16 when counting, and that frustrated him. He sang too loudly. The teacher didn't like his drawing. He got in trouble by his mom. It's like thing after thing after thing. One person wanted to retitle this book, Alexander and His First World Problems. <laughs> and I was thinking about it, like, how often are those the frustrations that we have in our lives? Like, it's the little things. It's someone cuts us off in traffic. It's, I don't have a big enough clothing budget, so I'm not as trendy as I want to be. Uh, CrossFit is way too expensive, so I'm, I'm a little pudgy, a little pudgier than I want to be. Um, it, someone has the, the, the newest iPhone, and I, I'm, I'm like a couple steps back, and so I have the, the envy rising up in me. Like, these are so often the things that, that frustrate us. But there are massive things as well, the, the things that sit heavy in our lives. There's, there's strife and tension in marriage. Uh, there's betrayal of trust and friendships and, and backstabbing. There are work situations, work environments, which are, are borderline abusive sometimes. There's, there's abuse in the home, maybe from, from the past or maybe even in the present. There, there are real things that, that we suffer, that we endure, that we experience on a regular basis. But then there are also really good things as well. So not, not like the, the trifling things, not the really heavy things, but also we get the raise, we get the promotion. Uh, we're, we're experiencing a season of, of, of joy and unity in our marriage. Uh, or maybe you're, you're, you're part of a trusted community and, and, and friends are pouring into you and you're pouring into them and, and you really feel like things are going well. Each of these things is what Paul David Tripp and Timothy Lane in the book call heat. And, and the thing with heat is, uh, I was thinking about heat, like what comes to mind? First thing that came to mind, <laughs> did any of you guys play NBA Jam back in the day? Is that what I'm talking about? After two shots, 
It's what? He's heating up. It's like that's a good kind of heat. It's like it's, it's moving toward, it's emerging to the third shot that the guy hits, hits in a row, and now he's unstoppable. Unless he gets blocked or he just misses a silly shot, like shoots from half court, he's going to, to make everything. So that's, that's a good kind of heat, like it's moving in the right direction. The heat that, that Tripp and Lane are talking about, it can be good things, um, a lot of times bad things, but it's, it's the thing that, that draws out what's already inside of us. Um, I don't know if you guys, as I step away, my picture's kind of small, so maybe I should redraw this. But this is, this is the heat, this is the sun, this is kind of a modified trip and lane drawing. And when the heat comes, when different situations come in our lives, either fruit, so godliness, obedience, loving others, loving God, serving others, either that emerges or thorns emerge. So a lot of how we, what comes out, either fruit or thorns, a lot of this comes down to how we define joy. Uh, there's a professor at a UT Austin named Jay Budashevsky. I love saying that name, so I might mention him several times, even if he's entirely irrelevant. Jay Budashevsky uh, has been a professor for, I don't know, two plus decades down at UT Austin, and, and every year he does a survey with his students. And he's seen a, he's seen a shift over time. See, the question I'll pose to him is, what is joy? And he used to get a lot of nuanced answers. Things would kind of be across the board. Some were more influenced and shaped by a Christian worldview. But increasingly, over the past five to seven years, he's seen more and more and more, to the extent that it's almost universal, that every definition is some modified version of the negative answer of the absence of pain, the absence of suffering. The things that, that cause tension in my life and frustration, they're gone. Like they're not a part of things. I, I move away from them. Um, when those things are gone, joy enters in. Like that's, that's my state of happiness or joy or contentedness. So that, I think, is connected with another functional definition a lot of times that we have of joy, which is the, the fulfillment of our felt desires. So if the negative side is it's an absence of pain or suffering or frustration, on the positive side it would be actually get the things that, I, that at least I think I want. Uh, Tim Keller has this great, I won't quote it, paraphrase, um, talking about how so often we don't even understand the complexity of our own hearts. Like we, we think we know what we want. Like this would, would bring satisfaction. This would bring happiness. We're, we're all little hedonists. Like we run around just trying to find pleasure all the time. It's like just how we're wired as human beings. Um, but so often we don't even discern our own hearts properly. So a lot of times functionally, and I, I see this in my own life, we define joy as an absence of pain and a fulfillment of what I think is going to make me happy and at least does kind of bring some emotional satisfaction for the time being. And that becomes our operative definition for how we walk through life. Let's turn over to James chapter 1 and see how the Bible defines joy. At least move toward an answer. So James chapter 1, we'll start in verse 2. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, 
I don't know if, if you're like me, if you grew up in a, in a church context, you probably had this quoted to you at least once when you really did not want it to be quoted to you. Like the person is, is trying to be really kind and helpful and you're going through like pretty heavy suffering. And they're like, well, you, you know, James said, count it all joy when you go through trials of various kinds. You just, like, you, you want to hurt them somehow? It's like, I know that. Like, I, we've all read that. That guy over there quoted it to me about 12 seconds ago. I know that's true, and I'm hurting right now. Like, the suffering is real. Let's see what, what James is really after here, because he's not after platitudes and unhelpful quotings of Scripture. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, this word trials, it, it refers to both internal and external realities. So it's external things, it's pressures from the outside, uh, what Brian unpacked last, um, yesterday, of frustrations at work, frustrations at home, it's tensions, it is, is the sin of other people pressing down on you, it is circumstances that are, that are annoying and frustrating. That, that's the external side. On the internal side, it's our own desires. It's our own selfishness. It's our own uh, conflicted motives. It's, it's the, when we're honest with ourselves and we really look at our own, our own hearts and, and kind of how we're wired and what we're after, it's seeing that, wow, I'm, I can be pretty messed up. Um, the, the ancients used to talk about incurvatus inse, homo incurvatus inse, the, 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 the human proclivity to be turned inward on oneself. So if you picture a, a person, like I, I like drawing a stick figure and then drawing an arrow that starts to go out, but then curves straight back in on, on himself or herself. Like that's the basic disposition of our hearts so often. So these trials are, are both external and internal. So count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, now while these first few verses don't necessarily give us a definition of what joy is, it does say that you can have joy in the face of suffering. In fact, we're meant to have joy in the midst of, in the face of, through the actual pain and suffering and sorrows that we feel on a, on a regular basis. Be it the, the Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day type, or actual, like, wow, this is, this is heavy right now. And we're actually meant to have this joy. So, so how does he argue? Verse 3, 4. That's an arguing word. He's explaining why we should count it all joy. For you know that the, the testing of your faith, so we know that in the trials, in the suffering, in the pain, in the tension, there's a testing of our faith. That actually produces something in us. Like something is being developed. Uh, we're, we're not the same as we were before that trial came about. Steadfastness or a, 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 a pursuit of God, with God, being kept with God, um, pursuing communion with Him, finding our, our home in Him, finding our comfort, and, and, and really our joy in God Himself. That's what it's producing in us. It's, it's that long-suffering which, which creates more capacity for us to enjoy the God who is. So in short, um, it, you can continue on from verse 5 and following. Um, actually, let's jump down to, to verse 12. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. So picking up on that same theme. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And we'll get back to verse 13 and following a little bit. But here, here he's saying that not only is it producing something in our souls, it's something that, that is eternal. Like it, it carries on into forever in our relationship with God. 
And so why can we, we count it all joy? It's because we get more of God in the process. Like, like God is not blind to, he's not unaware of the moment by moment tensions and frustrations and maybe the, the argument that you had in the car on the way here, maybe the, it's the, the middle of the fight that you're, you're in right now with someone at work, um, the, the things you had to, to, to close and set aside um, as you left work today to come here. Like, he's not blind to those things. In fact, he's intentionally placed them for our good. He wants to give us more of himself in the face of and through trials, through the suffering. And so one commentator put it that it's not that we find joy in the, the suffering per se. Like the, we call evil evil. We call things that are bad, bad. It's that we, we see through the suffering, we see through the tension, we see through the trial to God, to the God who loves us and cares for us and is taking us somewhere in the process. And therefore we have joy. Therefore we have peace. Therefore we have comfort. And so, really, as, as we work back to what, what is the right definition of joy, what is a biblical definition of joy? It's life with God. It is, it is being known by and knowing this God who, who has loved us uh, to the fullest, who, who continues to walk with us, who, who doesn't give us one ounce of, of suffering or, or, or pleasant times or, or, or good things that he doesn't do without intentionality and with a goal of taking us somewhere in the process. So joy, rightly defined, is getting more of God. It is walking with God. It is, it is celebrating the union that Jesus has purchased for us, that we have with Christ, and walking in that and communing with him. So that's how we understand joy properly. All right, so heat. What do we do with heat? What do we do with, with the frustrations, with the, the good things that come to us? Uh, first, we have to recognize, what does this heat actually do? Um, how many times have you guys heard someone say, or maybe you say it, we're all guilty of it at some point, you made me mad. You made me say that. You, you made me do this over here. What Tripp and Lane are arguing, and, and grounding this in Scripture, is that no one actually ever makes us do any of those things. I think it's in this book, but one of the arguments that, that's been made before is, one of the ways of seeing this is get cut off in traffic and you respond one way. Someone else gets cut off in tra traffic and they respond another way. So you could say, well, that person who cut me off actually made me respond this way. They, they made me say this and yell, you know, yell this, whatever it is. But then you see someone else respond entirely differently. So clearly it's, it's not, hey, you, you have to respond this way. It is, there was something already in existence that was just elicited by that context. And so, so that's where this picture is helpful, is that the heat actually brings to surface, it, it exposes, it elicits what's already present in our hearts. Um, it, it, it evidences our functional theology. So what, what do we actually believe about God? That there's something that we articulate. There's something we can sit down and take a test on. Um, there's something that we could recite answers in the gospel community and wherever else. And, and that's all important. But then when the heat actually comes, when the frustrations actually come, what do we actually believe? That's what we live out of. And our functional theology is, is necessarily tied to our heart's affections. Like, what do we actually love? What do, what do we care about? Uh, what gets us up in the morning? What drives us? 
Um, there are a number of different ways of, we're going to actually get to this in the second section of, you know, how do we respond in the heat, and then how do we make sense of why we respond? That's going to be all of second half. Uh, and then we're going to go through those, those cards that are at the middle of the table in the second half. Um, but before we do that, I want to step into what are we actually called to in, in, in kind of a, a broad lens, stepping into the midst of trying to make sense of our suffering, trying to make sense of our, our day in, day out, the heat that comes in our lives. What does the Bible call us to? I think implicitly, especially if you've grown up in, in certain church contexts or been around the church at all, in some circles, what can be communicated is you, you just need to, to fake it. Like, you just need to be happy, or at least ostensibly happy. Um, act like you are. Act like th- everything is okay. Give the right answers and press on. The amazing thing is, Scripture never calls us to that. Like we're never called to be fake. We're never called to, to be dishonest. Um, so I want to walk through fairly quickly, and then we'll get to our tables um, first, looking at the real world. Um, this is, uh, let's flip over to Romans. This is a lot of what, what Brian hit on yesterday. So if you guys were here for that, it'll be a little bit of repeat. All right, so Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, um, verse 19. So looking at, at what is the real world, like what is the actual world that we live within, that we operate within, how do we understand it? Verse 19, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of man. And again, Brian unpacked some of this last night, but somehow the fall in Genesis 3 uh, of, of people, of, of you and I, is actually tethered to the rest of the created order. So our fallenness brought a, a futility with it that extends everywhere in creation. Um, so there's a brokenness, there's a frustration, there are thorns and thistles, there's pain, there's, there's suffering. That, that's part of uh, the present world that we, we live in now. So connect that now with flip over to First Peter. First Peter chapter four, starting at verse twelve. Peter says this Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So his first point is, like, don't be shocked by this. When frustration comes, when you see sin emerge in your own heart, when you see it come down from other people in your life, when, when there's a relational strife, like when you go through seasons, like long seasons maybe, of hardship in, in, a, in a friendship, in a marriage, in a parent-to-child relationship, all those things, like don't, don't be shocked by that. That is the present, broken, fallen world that we live in. It's going to be marked by these things. Verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed 
But let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So we're going to look at some of this a little bit more in the second half. Um, but it's this idea of entrusting our souls to God. Like, we shouldn't be shocked. We shouldn't be surprised. It shouldn't be a strange thing for us. Um, when we're in the midst of it, when we're actually in the heat, it feels surprising. It's like, really? This is what I'm going through right now. It's easy to feel alone. It's, it's easy to feel um, just devastated either by our own sin um, or, or the tough season that we're going through uh, personally. Or it's like, man, is this ever going to get better? Is this relationship ever going to get better? Is, is my work situation ever going to get better? And we're going we're to talk again in the second half about addressing those things. But for starters, we should, we should not be shocked by this. We should not be surprised that things are hard. And it, it's really helpful to recognize that everyone who came into this room tonight has suffered, has tension in relationships, feels the pain and the agony in different areas. Even when we're going through just blissful and, and wonderful and, and fairly easy seasons, there's still those areas where it's like, man, that, that could totally be better. Like, wow, that, that relationship, I, I would love to improve in this area. Man, if I really stop and think about it, man, I'm really hurt and offended by such and such conversation or, or a certain relationship. Like, it's true for all of us. And so the sooner that we can be honest about the world that we live in, the sooner we can actually deal with this heat that, that comes to us on a regular basis. All right, so second... The real us. Flip over to, to Psalm 88. We see one of the most raw texts in Scripture in terms of David just pouring out his soul before God. Alright, Psalm 88, starting verse 1. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like one who's set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves, Selah. You've caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you, Selah? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or in the faithfulness of Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness, or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your tears. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your, your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. 
One important thing to, to recognize about this psalm, and, and one reason it's pointed to over and over again, is that it and one other psalm are the only ones that don't end on a positive note. Every other psalm, it's like suffering, hardship. We've seen that a lot as we've gone through the, the psalms this summer. It's really hard. It's painful. Let's be honest about it. But oh, praise you, God, Lord of my salvation. Always, always ends going up, except for two psalms. And this is one of those. And that gives us freedom. That gives us liberty to be honest and raw with what's going on. Now, I say that, but that doesn't mean that, that we always rightly discern the realities that are, that are going on around us or inside of us. And so we, we have to, at the same time, allow other people to speak into. Like, we need community. We need others to, to help refine our understanding of, of what is going on. Where, where's my heart astray? Where am I confused? Where am I blind to my own sin? Like, we need that community. But that is not the same thing as saying that, that God ever calls us to be fake. That he ever calls us to, to slap on a, a smile and, and, and be impressive or, or just gain approval from other people. Um, never. And, and we, could, we could walk through, and, and if you're in a season right now where it's like, this is just heavy and hard, spend some time in the Psalms, particularly maybe Psalm 88, and just pray these prayers back of David, back to God. A uh, few quick things to notice on this. He does begin with a right understanding of the character of God. Verse 1, O Lord God of my salvation. He begins with a, the personal name, Yahweh of God, and then steps into, you, you are the one who saves. Like, you save your people, you save me, you are for me. He gets the right understanding of, of who God is. But then, then he just goes into a litany of frustrations and, and complaints, and like, this is, this is hard. It feels like the world is just caving di- down in on me. My, people who, who used to love me and were friendly toward me and were my companions, now they've shunned me and pushed me away. And continually, David is taking this back to God, back to God, back to God, back to God. So we, we need to write understanding of, of the world as it is. Broken, fallen, redemptive elements, absolutely. Absolutely. But we should not be surprised when there's pain and sorrow and suffering however minute and however large. And we must bring our real selves to the table. Like, we must be honest. Allowing other people to speak into, reflect back to, and help us understand and discern what's actually going on. But we, we have the freedom to be honest. Like, this is hard. And last, I want to look at who is this God who actually steps in and, and cares for us and redeems us. Um, flip over to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, starting verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. 
And with His wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. This text sunk into my heart uh, when I was having a conversation with a guy named Yala Koala. Seriously, that's his name. Um, from Liberia. Grew up during the Civil War um, in Liberia. If you guys are familiar at all with what took place back in the 90s. Um, just horrific uh, anarchy. There was change of power repeatedly. There, was, there were mass killings. Um, it was hard not to, to walk up and down the street without seeing someone being killed or beheaded or numerous people um, having that take place on, on a regular basis. That was, that was much of Yala's life. Um, running from continually, uh, came to Christ at an early age, so walking with other Christians through this, but seeing just horrific sufferings. Close friends, family members going through the, these types of sufferings. He, uh, he then came in about 2000, 2001 to the States, uh, studied over here for a while. Um, I got to know him because he actually lived um, in my, my parents' upstairs for a while when I was still living back at home. And just built a great relationship with him. And got to know his story more. He, he'd written a couple books on his life and was, was trained, actually got a master's degree in counseling to go back to Liberia and walk other people through the healing that he had experienced over the past decade here in the States. And so I was like, I, at the time, I was all about like making videos and doing documentaries and all this stuff. I was like, dude, we've got to make a video about this. So let's broadcast it and you can raise money. And I was super excited. He's like, great, let's do it. So I began interviewing him. And in that process, he quotes this text. I think I asked him the question, some of the effect of, how did you heal from this? Like to see that suffering, to experience that suffering, to, to, to watch loved ones continuously die at the hands of, of people who have no right to power. How did you heal? And he quoted this text, these, these verses. Verse 3, he was despised. This is, this is referring to, to Jesus. This is pointing ahead to the Messiah who would come. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. This text just landed upon my heart when, it, when he quoted this. He said, how did I heal from this? I looked to the one who bore it all. I looked to the one who, who experienced this kind of suffering, th this kind of, of, of treatment from other humans, this kind of chastisement, this kind of strickenness, this kind of being uh, not esteemed as a, as a worthwhile person who took that and received it and loved for the joy that was set before him. Walked through it, saw the joy through it, and loved those that he came to, to die for and redeem. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that meets us in this real world, who meets us in, in the realness of our own craziness sometimes, our own goofiness. This is the real God who steps in, intervenes, and loves, and cares for, and meets us where we are. And this good news of what Jesus has done, what he has come, how he's come and lived this righteous life and bore upon himself our punishment, our sin, our disease, our strickenness, like what we deserve, and then rose to new life to reign forever for our good, like that good news 
And I know Andrew hit on this last week. It's not a, it's not a stale, stagnant, hey, I believe this thing. Uh, I, can, I can articulate that particular theology, now let's move on. The grace that comes to us through the gospel is active. It's continual. It takes us somewhere. It transforms us. So that's going to be second half. But I want to take about 20 minutes. Um, what time is it right now? 7.23, so at least till 7.43. I want to give you guys ample time. Uh, spend time at your tables. Feel free to get up, use restroom, get more coffee, drinks, whatever. Um, but just invest in, press in. And also, don't feel like you have to do the entire table. If that's helpful, if it's like your entire gospel community, wonderful. Sometimes with this many people, it's hard to hear across the table. Um, and you may not be able to get to everybody and asking the questions. So break off in two, three, four if you want to. Um, or do the whole table. It's, it's up to you guys. All right, question for you guys. How many of you, how many of you have ever been to, how many of you have ever been to China? Quite a few. Have any of you ever been to the Tiger Leaping Gorge in the Yunnan province of China? One? Two? Anyone else? Did you guys hike the Tiger Leaping Gorge? Cody, you, you hiked the Tiger Leaping Gorge. What? We've been friends for a long time. We've never discussed this before. This is like our friendship just like soared into heights because of this. So a number of years ago, I was over, I was actually studying abroad in Hong Kong and had the chance to travel throughout China and went to this place called the Tiger Leaping Gorge. Um, second deepest gorge in the world. And my friend and I decided to hike this, uh, the second deepest gorge in the world. And Lonely Planet told us that it would take us between two and three days to accomplish this feat. And we thought, we're 20, 20, 21. We can do better than Lonely Planet says. So we didn't really sleep much. We did a little bit. We did it in 24 hours, accomplished the entire thing. We felt amazed with ourselves. Like we, we are the height of all that is man by hiking this gorge. So we decided, you know what? Our, com our confidence is just like off the charts at this point. And we decided, well, that, that's not enough. Like, Lonely Planet promised us two to three days. We, we're not going back to Hong Kong for a while. We need something else to do. So we pulled out the map that was given to us at the, at the trailhead, which picture just a, a, a piece of printer paper that someone had taken a Sharpie and drew like, like triangles for mountains and drew a line for a trail and like the river down below and then two or three other trails that went straight up into the mountains. And then they made it like a thousand copies of it. And they passed them out to everybody that came on the trail and said, this is your map for navigating the Tiger Leaping Gorge. That, that's what we had in front of us. That was the extent of our nav navigation tools in traveling through this gorge. So we looked at that and said, you know what? Hey, we saw a trail back there that shot straight up into the mountains. I'll bet it's that Sharpie line right there. And so with our confidence soaring, we decided to, to chart this course. And it, it took us about an hour on a, about a 30 degree angle, straight into the trees. And by the time we get to the top of it, we realize we have half an algae of water left, one Snickers Marathon bar. You guys remember those? They were awful, but I thought they were like a great idea. It's like energy bar, protein bar, combined with candy. So I should buy a bunch for Hong Kong. So one Snickers Marathon bar, half an algae of water, the two of us, and we've just hiked 45 minutes an hour, 30 degree angle, and we get to the top and we look around and there's, there's no civilization, there's no anything, um, except, except a skull. There, there's a skull of a cow 
right there. And like, his ribs are right there. We're like, this is, this is great. We don't know where we are. We've followed a Sharpie line on a piece of printer paper. I mean, it's, it's gorgeous. We're, we're looking at a plateau miles away with a civilization, civilization on top, like a little village up there. But we have no clue where we are. Like, we, we know the, the name of the city that we're trying to get to. We're utterly confused. Um, my friend Ryan was, was angry with me at this point because he, he said we should, we should turn around. And I, I was, as my wife can attest, I, I never turn around. Like, I, I always find some other route to turn, even if it takes us twice as long. I was like, Ryan, we can't turn around. Like, we know the direction is out that way. We have to keep going this way. Eventually, it, it finally worked out. We, we actually, well, we stumbled upon this village, and he had taken very minimal Chinese. I couldn't fit into my schedule for, for the Hong Kong class. So we're sitting in this village, and we're, we're breaking apart the Snickers Marathon bar, kind of like the Last Supper here, like sharing the meal. Here, have a little water. I'll have a little water. And everyone in that village speaks Chinese, and we speak like six words combined, and all of them come from Ryan. And, and there we are. Like, <laughs> what do we do at this point? Um, uh, eventually, it worked out. Like, actually, beautifully worked out. About 20 minutes later, this bus came around, and it had the, the name of the next town that we were trying to get to on it. And like, there it scooted along. We hopped on, and we went to the next village. It was great. But prior to that, we were in utter confusion. We were lost. We had, we had this map that... I'm convinced we did not take the right trail. I mean, who even knows if, if that Sharpie line was an actual trail? Like, some guy's like, oh, there are probably trails that go up in the mountains. Let's squiggle that one and squiggle that one and print it off. Like, that's what it felt like. We, we were completely lost. We, we didn't know how to navigate. We didn't have the right tool to navigate. So often, our hearts are wired the same ways. Like, there's, a, there's actually a, a geography and a structure to our hearts that we're confused by. We don't know. There's Sharpie lines that are going off in different directions. And, and somebody may hand us a map that they say, hey, I'm, I'm confident this is how you navigate through the complexity of your desires and your motivations and your wants and your longings and everything else. But then it, you match it up and it doesn't actually work. Like it doesn't actually take you where you, you know you need to go. So what, what I want to do now is uh, three things and then we'll break up again. First, what are some of the thorn bush responses to use Tripp and Lane's language? Um, so so when, when the heat comes, when the frustration comes, when the good times come, when the, the minor grievances come, and thorns like sin, godlessness is elicited, uh, what, how do we categorize some of those responses? How, how do we understand that geography? Then I want to turn to uh, what's the remedy for that? Like how do we navigate through these wrong responses to get to the right responses? And then third, I want to go through those cards you guys have, um, the Gospel Transformation Chart, as a process for, for doing it the right way. So first we're going to look at some wrong ways. And I'm going to, I'm going to go through a lot of these because I don't want to miss any. So wrong ways of responding to the heat. First, denial and avoidance. This is pretending things are okay when they are not. This often comes through distractions such as hobbies, relationships, or addictions. Um, so this is a, a person who runs from exciting thing to exciting thing. Um, there's always a new experience, always a new group of friends, always a new travel opportunity, always a new job, always a new hobby, always a new something that you never just stop and face reality and deal with that. They're just kind of always bumping along to the next thing. Um, second, over-magnification. Think that life is defined by one painful experience or relationship, and virtually everything else is seen through the lens of that suffering. Um, so this would be a situation where 
there's legitimate suffering, like legitimate hardship, legitimate abuse or pain or whatever else that you can point to in the past. But then everything else, seemingly, is funneled through that one experience. Now, that's not to mitigate the reality of, of, of past pains and hurts and sufferings. Like that's, that's real and has to be dealt with. But, but sometimes that can be, be so magnified, so massive in people's minds and hearts. It's like everything else, it just, you bump into that over and over and over again. Third, hypersensitivity. Become bitter and overly sensitive, assuming most people are out to disrespect and mistreat us. Um, these are the people that it's really hard just to, to be yourself around uh, because you're going to say something wrong that's going to hurt them, offend them. Um, and again, there, there are, are real reasons to be offended and to be hurt. Um, like that, that's, that's real. It's part of human interaction, human relationships. Uh, but it's like, and you're always on eggshells. I said this wrong, and oh man, I wasn't even communicating that, but, but everything seems to, to hit you the wrong way, and you think I'm, I'm trying to, to hurt you or disrespect you or whatever else. Um, fourth is vengeance. Is when someone meditates on how someone has wronged us and what we would like to do in return. And sometimes we actually do it, right? So it's kind of return evil for evil. Um, this, I'm guilty of this oftentimes on the road. So I, like, I contemplate when someone cuts me off or does something that I think is foolish, then I, I contemplate how, how I can retaliate. Oftentimes I don't actually retaliate, but it's like it's there in my mind. Um, that, that expand that to numerous different situations and examples of relationships and um, things that are going on past, present. It's like we meditate upon, we, we think about, man, I, this would equal justice. Like if I could just say that, if I could just do that, if I could just create this kind of context where they, they know that or they feel it, they feel the weight of it, then all is right that has been wronged. Like justice is, is corrected. Uh, next is paralysis. Functionally quit and check out, assuming that godly pursuits are no longer, no longer worth it. Um, basically just, I mean, I, I've been hurt. It's been frustrating. And so all life, all desire, all motivation just kind of fizzles. Like even encouragements, challenges, loving chastisements, it, it just kind of bounces off and it's like, it's game over. And then last, self-righteous excusing. Um, intolerant and judgmental toward others, blaming them for the ways that we respond or live. Uh, so this is, this is a person that is, that is constantly, or seemingly constantly, pointing the finger in a different direction. Um, it's because this experience at work. It's because dads did this when I was 12. It's, it's because, and, and again, not mitigating the realities of, of our past. Like, those are real things that have to be dealt with and processed and, and healed from many times. And at the same time, that, that can become so dominating that everything is filtered through, well, it's, it's your fault somehow. Like, it's, it's that person's fault, it's the system's fault, it's the work, it's that. It's them, it's never me. Like, I, I can't own or take responsibility for what, what I've actually done or said. So what is the real problem? Like, if we're trying to understand the geography of the heart, trying to map through it without a, without a Sharpie on a piece of printer paper, um, what is the real problem? Well, we, we get a lot of different... Understanding. It's like we're handed a lot of different maps for how to understand this is really what's going on at the level of the heart. One is, well, it's other people. Like other people have, have somehow uh, sinned against us, and I'm just responding out of that. Uh, that's what we talked about during the first half of and when the heat comes, the frustration comes, and we say, well, you, you made me respond this way. You made me say such and such. 
um, other people. It's, it's, it's their lives that have come into contact with mine in such a way that, that I can't live with them and be kind. Uh, next, family or background. So I was treated wrongly by the people who were supposed to love me. Um, and again, this gets back to the, the fact that, and Trip hits on this, like, there are real sufferings. Like, all of us can point to ways that those who are supposed to care for us and love for us, even if we had excellent parents, excellent upbringings, like, there are areas where they failed. And, and maybe they, they failed in massive ways that you can, you can point to and you still feel the effects of. Um, that's all real. Like, that all has to be dealt with. But when we're getting down to, and this is what Tripp and Lane are so good at, at unpacking, like what is the, the actual problem of our hearts? Is it, is it, does it fundamentally rest with, well, those people wronged me in such a way that it's inevitable that I will sin, that I will, that I will respond these ways. Like because other people fail to love me, therefore I'm not liable when I don't love other people. Uh, next. Uh, actually, quick illustration on that. Um, there's a, a family in my church growing up where, so they, young couple had just gotten married, and he, they were in like middle of a fight, really frustrating, and he, he just needed some air. Like he'd always grown up, like get space, walk out, and just come back to it later. So he, he actually walks out the front door just to, to breathe, stand on the driveway, and then come back in. She freaks out, like goes to the door, she's falling down to her knees, weeping, like, it is, like, she just can't get a hold of herself, and she didn't even realize what's going on. Well, they end up processing it with a counselor, going back, like, what's actually going on here? Well, her dad, when she was growing up, at one point walked out the front door and then never returned. And so that's imprinted on her mind in saying, like, this is my natural response. I, I didn't even realize that, um, but here I am responding in this way because this was my prior experience when the man that, that is meant to love me and care for me and that I love walks out the front door. So again, legitimate and real, but there's still the heart of the individual. Like, what, what is that response? That doesn't mean that, I mean, I, I'm, I'm pigeonholed now because someone has wronged me. That's just the way it is. Like, I, there, there's something more going on. All right, next, hard circumstances. There are things that have, things have been hard and I have endured suffering. Um, it's basically saying that since I've had to suffer, I want to make other people suffer. Uh, because things have been hard for me, it's okay that I make things hard for other people. Um, I, I don't need to show grace or love or kindness uh, because, well, look what happened to me. Don't you recognize? Um, again, real, legitimate, must be dealt with. But th that's not the, the core issue. Next, physiology or psychology. Um, this, this one's tough, especially in our, our culture. Um, so we have to tread carefully in how we define these things. Um, but it's basically saying that my brain chemistry or a diagnosable condition or disorder makes me sin. Like, it makes me do these things. Um, I speak on this subject as one who walked through a, a season for two years of, like, diagnosed anxiety and depression. Like, during college, I was, it was crazy. Like, like if you guys want to unpack that more at another point, I'd be happy to do that. Um, so so I, don't, I don't speak as one who, who hasn't walked through these things. Like, I know pain, uh, brain chemistry is real. I know the pain and suffering of, of having something um, that affects er every area of life and you just feel bound by it. Um, those things are, are real. They're, they're palatable. Um, that's not the word that I wanted. They're palpable. Like you, you, they're substantial. Like they're, they're, they actually affect us. And at the same time, when, when I was going through that, that, that season of just heartache, 
confusion of like, which way's up, which way's down? Like, where is God? Like Psalm 88, that was my experience for, for the better part of two years. Um, even in the midst of that, as I sinned, when I sinned, that doesn't mean that, that my depression or my anxiety or my, my current state was, was to blame for that. I, I still sinned. That was the context. That, that was the occurrence. That, that was the, the circumstances around me. Um, but it's not to blame. Like, fundamentally, that's what I can't point to and excuse. Well, I have bad brain chemistry, therefore, that, that's why I sin. That's, that's why thorns come out. Uh, let's see. In the last personality. This is just who I am. Don't try to change me. Um, so examples that, that I've either said or heard. I won't tell you which is which. I've probably said all of them at one point or another. Um, I just don't have much pace, patience with those types of people. It's like, well, that's just the way I am. I, I, don't, I don't like that category of people. Therefore, that justifies my impatience with them. And I don't have to actually be kind to them. Like, I can just kind of write them off and, and move away. Um, um, it, but if you look at it, like patience is an actual heart issue. It, it's not an excusable personality issue. Like if we don't love people that we're called to love, that's actually a, a repentance issue. Uh, another example is, well, I'm just a little more blunt. Like I, I'm forthright. I, I say things as they are. I, I just, I, I just say it. So don't fault me. That, that's how my parents were. It's like this context I grew up in. It's like, well. That doesn't justify being unkind. Like, it doesn't justify being a jerk to other people just because we want to be honest. Now, that doesn't negate the fact that some people are more inclined to, to see things the way that they are and call them out. That, that can be a real gift. But tone, like how we do it, how we unpack things, context, uh, when that comes out, like, those things actually matter. And they're not just issues of, that's my personality, it's not my personality. Um, I'm totally guilty of this last one. Um, well, I'm more introverted, so therefore I don't have to be kind to people when they want to talk to me, be kind to me, and interact with me. It's kind of like, I, can't you see I've got a book and a beer, and I'm sitting on a chair, therefore I don't have to talk to anybody. But that's, that's my excuse. Um, well, introvert, extrovert, those, I mean, that's what the Myers-Briggs thing, that's really helpful. But just because I'm an I doesn't mean I have an excuse to be mean to other people. Um, it's like, well... Like, didn't you read my Myers-Briggs? Like, don't you know that <laughs> you're not supposed to talk to me right now? Um, so it's so easy to, to drift in these directions where it's like, well, this is just the way that I am. And that, that's almost like it puts up this defense for other people where they can't even ask the hard questions and, and, and get beyond the surface of, well, is there? Maybe part of that is your, let's parse that out. Like, part of that is your personality. Part of that is is rebellion against God. Like maybe you just don't love people because you need to repent and love Jesus and, and serve other people. All right, so, so if those are, are not the right ways, of, if that's not the right map, those are, um, th those are the context, those are the occurrences, but not the causes of sin, what is the actual cause of our sin? Um, Augustine has this beautiful quote. He says, He loves you too little, speaking to God. He loves you, God. He loves you too little, who loves anything together with you, which he loves not for your sake. So in other words, he's saying that th there's a wrong kind of love toward God. If there's any, anything else, any created thing that is, that is so wrapped up in that love that, that we don't actually love that thing for God's sake, like recognizing his truth, his, good, his goodness, his beauty in that, 
and actually worshiping him and walking with him faithfully because of it. Um, when the created things become elevated in our hearts, a uh, really good way to think of this is, is the fact that, that we are, are fundamentally worshiping beings as humans. And, and worship is, is basically saying you know, we orient our lives around the things that we find most valuable. And you don't have to teach a baby to do that. You don't have to teach anyone to do that. But the things that, that we think are going to bring us the most satisfaction, the most delight, the most joy, that is the thing that we pursue over and over and over again. And, and, and all of the, the different assets that we have, all the different uh, um, things that we've been made to steward become directed toward those things. So a lot of times we, we become functional polytheists, meaning we have many lowercase g gods that we put in the center of our lives and say, well, this is kind of like the, the perfect life. Now let me spend my time and my money and my relational energy, um, my thinking, my everything, to get those things. And, and when I have those things, I think I'm satisfied. The reality is we, we never are when we, when we elevate the created things above God. But, so, so really what it comes down to is we, we, have, we have disordered loves. Like We love things, created things, more than we love God, such that they orient our lives instead of God. Or, and, really, we love them in the wrong ways. Like, like we don't see the created things for what they are, as, as gifts to be received with thanksgiving and gratitude, to be stewarded for the, the glory of God and the good of other people. Um, we see them as, as something that we have a right to, and we're just going to exploit and, and suck all the value from, so that we can, we can be more comfortable and happy, um, apart from God, the giver. So really, at the root, what we're looking at is, it's a heart issue of and I, I worship wrongly. I don't see the weight and the value of, of the God of the universe as I'm meant to. I define the good life in a way that's contrary to the way that the God has actually defined the good life. That's, that's the fundamental problem. Now, if, if we start there, we can then move into brain chemistry and personality issues and past experiences and hard circumstances and suffering, all that, like all those things become the occurrence that we need to interact with and make sense of. But we have to start at the level of, I'm a broken, sinful human being who needs the grace of Jesus every day of my life. Like I, I run toward things that would kill me. And not, and not in the way that we think it would kill us. Like, there's some obvious glaring sins, like, oh, that's, that's going to kill you. But things that are actually really good, legitimate desires that are meant to be sub-desires toward God, that then get thrown up into a place that, that they don't belong in. If I make that my God, if I make that my idol, it's going to kill me. It's going to kill all of us. And so that's, that's the fundamental issue. All right, so I want to take the last bit of last few minutes here, and then we'll break up again um, to walk through this large card. Um, some of you have, may have been around for the 1.0 version of the Gospel Transformation card. This is the 2.0 version of the Gospel Transformation card. It hot off the press. These are the first ones to enjoy this card. Uh, just picked it up at two o'clock this afternoon, so you should feel very privileged. All right. I need to find a marker that works. All right, so, so often, actually, let me, let me read these first couple paragraphs here, across the top. All of us see the need for change. The question is how that change takes place in our lives. 
God calls us to trust that His Word is good and to walk in obedience and relationship with Him. At different times and in different ways, we all fail. Further, we are deeply broken and incapable of fixing ourselves. We need divine rescue. The good news of the Gospel is that God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ, who bore the penalty for our sin and has conquered sin and death so that we might experience true life. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection have accomplished our deliverance. But how does this get worked out in our lives? The purpose of this card is to walk through that process. Personal transformation through the gospel is real, and it is possible. Sin is fundamentally more about misaligned desires than breaking rules. The heart is the seat of our desires. We must address what resides there in order to see genuine change. Use this card with others to pursue holiness together. All right, transformation chart. So typically, this is like the, the awful Sunday school approach to to changing, like confessing sin and changing the way that we live. We have our current state. It's horrible. I just sinned internally right now, and I need to, to use this in the car. So current state, this is where we are. This is the, the sin that we see in our relationships, in our own lives, in our own hearts. Patterns of sin, one instance, like different areas where we see sin come out. Typically what we want to say is, well, we'll stop it. Like, like confess it, pray about it, read some Bible passages, and then stop doing that thing, that whatever it is, and, and go be holy. Like go, go walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And so, so we get over here, and, and that kind of works to fool ourselves and other people and people at church for a while. But at the end of the day, it's a... It's a feigned or a, a fake, uh, an untrue holiness. Like it, it's a guise of holiness. It's a, it's a mask that we place over. We're, we're shifting things out here, and, and things look different, at least for a time. But what our hearts actually love will be seen for what they are. Like the way that we do things, the way that we say, the way that we spend our money, the way that we, what we do with our bodies. Like all those things flow out of what we actually want. So this is not a good approach. This is not the Bible's approach. This is an awful attempt at a Sunday school approach. All right, so let's flip over to James chapter 4. James 4. Cannot find you. All right, James 4, starting verse 1. James is writing to a church of Jewish, Jewish Christians, and they, they have all sorts of weirdness and tension and frustration in their community. And so he, he begins addressing this in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? So he's asking a question. Like, here's your current state. You've got relational tension. It's coming out everywhere. Why? What causes these tensions? What causes the, the relational issues that you're, you're experiencing? And then he goes on. It's very helpful when, when the Bible answers his own questions. That's what James does for us. Is it not this, that your passions or desires, motivations, your loves, are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So he's saying the fundamental issue is you want things, tangible, intangible, 
and you don't get them. Like somebody is thwarting that desire. Like you're not, you're bumping into it. And it's usually other people. And so you're, you're, you're fighting. Like it's, it's just pouring out of you frustration and, and anger and tension in your relationships because you have desires and they're, they're unmet. You're not getting what you think would bring you the most joy in that moment. And so the first question is, as we walk through that chart, is what actually happened? Like addressing what is the reality? Um, and we have to admit that sin. Like we have to be humble and honest. You can look down a little bit below the number one there. Humble and honest, like this is, this is what's going on. There, there are fights and quarrels, or fill in the blank, whatever the sin issue is. Um, that begins to take us down this road of repentance. <clears throat> repentance. So it's admit the sin. And recognize what this current state is. Like, let's be honest about it. Psalm 51 style. Like David pouring out, like, yeah, it's true. I did this. But then it's, it's moving to the next level and saying, okay, wh- what did I actually want? James tells us here that what's driving the sin is our desires, it's our passions, and we're not getting what we want. What is it? Um, so, so in that moment, what, what was desire? If I just had this, then I would be okay. And again, it can be tangible things, it can be intangible things. Um, and then we move down to, to number three, which is this is not like a necessary step, but I just, I find this extremely helpful, and I know other people have. Instead of just saying, well, I, I wanted the person, my wife, to, to speak to me this way, and I, I was just, I was frustrated about this, and I, I thought if this went better over here, like all these desires that are floating around, like, what if we could find a hook to put all of those on? It's like, like, really, this is the thing that I was wanting, and I wasn't getting it. And so, look, number three is, is what is the governing idol? Of my heart. Like, if I was to, to put a hook on it. Uh, Tim Keller has 20 different idols, and he's smarter than all of us combined. So, I'd, it's probably safe to go with Tim Keller. But, even his overlap sometimes. Um, and I can share that list with you if you want it. But, I, I find it really helpful to, to have four different categories. Approval, comfort, glory, and control. Those are the intangible things that so often we want um, I believe they're, yeah, so to walk through those, control is I wanted things to go or be a certain way. Like if things just would have been organized this way, structured that way, this relationship would have been that way, my day would have gone that way, this event would have played out this way, that, that's really what I wanted. Like all the different desires that are swirling around, I could, I could put a cap on it with that. Or second, glory. I wanted others to respect me or be impressed by me. I want to be recognized. I wanted my reputation to go forth. I wanted people to be like, wow, like you did excellent work. Look, look what you accomplished there. I'm so impressed by the fact that, that you're a human being. Like That's just amazing. Third, comfort. I wanted an absence of interruptions, demands, or annoyances. Like, I just want to be left alone. I want to do my thing and, and, and not have things impede like on my definition of comfort at that moment. Um, and then fourth, approval. I wanted others to validate what I did or who I am. This is a little bit different than glory. Um, glory is more just kind of like I want to be impressive and recognized. Like you don't necessarily have to like me. Uh, approval is I really need you to like me. Like I want you to validate me and I want you to, to speak into my life in such a way that I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm in with this person. They, they, they really validate who I am as a person or at least what I did. 
these tend to be, they're, they're overlapping. Um, and so a lot of times it's like, well, I can point to two or three of these. But it, it, they're helpful hooks to say, yeah, this, this is the thing that I actually wanted. This was the thing that I was functionally worshiping. I was orienting my life, my words, I was stewarding my actions around getting this thing. It didn't happen. I'm frustrated, and I, I responded in some sinful way. That's where we go to the gospel. So, so we recognize, we've gone down to the bottom of, okay, this is where my heart is, and so this is what I'm functionally loving. I need redemption. I need salvation. Like, I can't, I can't pluck myself out of this. I, I can't figure it out on my own and, and navigate through. Like, I need redemption from the outside. That's where we look to the person and the work of Jesus. We trust in him who, who was righteous, who who sought the glory of the Father perpetually and never once went after one of these other things and then actually gifted that righteousness to us, dying for our unrighteousness, the just penalty. Like, we look to him. We trust in him for forgiveness. And we know that we're okay. We can rest in that grace. Like, we all come in here tonight with so many things we can point to in our lives. Like, man, I screwed up here. Like, man, I got patterns of sin over here. I see this come out over and over again. Like, we need to know the gospel is true, that we're loved, before we ever fight sin. Otherwise, we're going to be laboring right here over and over and over again. We're going to wear this trail out, and we're just going to be tired. We're going to feel really prideful when things go well, and we're we're beating that sin, and then we're going to feel awful and super low when we fail in that same area. We're going to be on this horrible pendulum swing, back and forth, back and forth. That's, That's laboring for love. This is recognizing, okay, I have disordered loves, but I am loved. I am cared for. I don't have to prove anything. Jesus proved it all. We've got, we've got to rest in that. We've got to hear that from each other. Uh, it's, the main purpose of this card is not just for ourselves. It's actually in conversation, in community with other people. We're actually speaking the gospel where we're not believing it well. I need to hear that every day of my life. And then we come out the other side and say, okay, I know that I'm forgiven, but... This grace is an active grace. What, what does walking in faith actually look like? Well, it's looking at these, at these governing idols, th- these things that functionally control our hearts, and say, you know what? God has actually given these very things to me in a much better, a much more eternal, a much more substantial way than whatever way I was trying to pursue it otherwise. I want control. I want things to go a certain way. I want everything to be organized. I serve a God who loves me, who's absolutely sovereign, who sits on his throne, and he wields all of realities in life for my good and for his glory. And I I wanted to be impressive. Like, I wanted my reputation to go forth. There already is one who is impressive. There is one whose reputation does not fail and actually is worthy of worship, and that, that is the triune God. And so I look to him. I look to the person of Jesus. I look how glorious he is, and I say, I, I'm not connected with this glory. Like, I've been united through his work to this glory, and now I share it. I'm a partaker of it. And I, I really want to be comfortable. Like, I want the absence of frustrations and annoyances from the outside. I have absolute comfort and treasure forevermore as I walk with Jesus, as I, as I rest in him, as I look to him, and I, I see the true home that I have in the God of the gospel. And I stop and I rest and I see that, you know, I have an eternal home. I have an eternal comfort. That right now, no matter the, the surroundings that are, that are going on here, I can actually rest in this kind of rest and then love from that place.
And fourth, I, man, I really want to be approved. I want people to like me. I want, I want to be validated. But we are already validated in Jesus Christ. Like, we actually can't earn that validation. We need it to be given to us. We need that righteousness. We need that, that status of being approved to be given to us as a gift. And it's given to us objectively, definitively, through the person and work of Jesus. And so coming out on the other side, we go down, we recognize this is actually what's going on. Let's be real. Let's be honest. Let's trust in Jesus. Let's know that we're loved. Now let's come out the other side and say, wow, God, you've actually provided these things for me in a better, more substantial way. Give me faith to believe this and to walk in this. And then moving forward, it is, it is simply walking into that reality. It's saying, even if I don't feel it, like my feelings are not the, the governor of truth. You are God, and so I'm going to walk in what's true, believing what's true, even though I don't feel it right now. In fact, I feel the opposite. I feel like this thing, whatever it is, like that's going to give me comfort and approval and glory and control. Like this is the thing that I need right now. So no, actually, it's a lie. God has already given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Second Peter 1. That's already been gifted to us in Jesus. And so we walk in the newness of life. We, we trust in him when we don't feel it. We move forward because he has purchased all these things for us. Now, I, I did the, the hyper-abbreviated version um, of, this, of this card because I want you guys to have some time here at the end. And I'm seeing some, some cards with double usage as a fan, which is great. Um, so it made him so big and thick. Um, but I want to give you guys time to, to engage in conversation for a little bit. Um, but I encourage you to take this card Read through it, understand it. There are questions on the back that kind of move through three different tiers to, to get at what's going on here. Um, and, and that's, the big one is, is more the instructional one. The smaller one is, okay, once you've kind of got the process down, here's a bookmark to throw in your Bible, throw in a book, and use this on a regular basis with, with friends in community. Um, it's got the, all the questions on the back. It's got the, the basic triangle and just some, um, some quick reminders on it. Um, but there are a couple questions uh, for this, this last section at your table. Um, and the last one is starting to go through this chart. Um, we'll go ahead and end, I think. Sorry, Andrew, I lied to you unintentionally. I will confess and go through this triangle with you later. Um, let's, let's end with discussion and then just go out from there. I, I just want to say this. Our vision, our desire for your good is that these cards like, form the, the backbone of our relationships throughout the city. Um, in our gospel communities, um, if you're not plugged into a gospel community, uh, finding relationships outside of that, and then eventually hopefully getting plugged into um, the continuity of a gospel community. Um, like, this is actually where the real transformation takes place. It's, it's longevity in relationships. It is confession of sin over and over. I meet with a guy, uh, Daniel Thompson, every week or two, and we essentially do this, like, it's kind of imprinted on our minds now, so we just know the process. But like, we've been doing it for over three years, and he knows my sin. He knows my idolatries really well. Like, like if, I, if I'm confessing, like, man, I was, I was short with Aaron, and here's the, here's the context, here's the situation, he knows where to go with it. And I'm seeing sin come out over here in work and in frustration. I'm seeing some, um, some love of glory over here. Like, he knows where to go because we've had similar conversations before. Whereas if I sit down afresh with someone every month or two, you've got to build that traction again. So our goal is longevity relationships, build roots, 
Um, find people, yes, find somebody you can trust. Like you don't want someone that you can't trust in a relationship. Um, but establish that. And embrace the awkward. Like, it, it's awkward at first. Like all of a sudden you're going through this triangle and like, what the heck, this feels weird, asking these questions. Get rid of the card as quickly as possible. Like figure it out, understand it, digest it, and then throw it out, pass it on to someone else, and just have a normal conversation. But this is a, a really helpful paradigm that we hope shapes many, 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 many conversations in this church body throughout this city. Um, it, it's how the gospel works in our hearts um, through the context of community. So take the rest of the time, go through your tables, um, and we'll see you guys next week.